Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm Trentus Magnus, and I welcome you back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. In case it hasn't become obvious, I've been stockpiling and hoarding episodes. The way I wanted to do this was to record several episodes in advance before the show actually goes live. You see, if there's one thing about the modern comic book industry that pisses me off, it's lateness. I don't know why comic book companies can't get six or seven issues uh, completed and in the hopper before they even solicit the first one, but the last thing I'd want is to be a hypocrite. So I'm trying to be the change I want in the world by building up an extra big-ass number of episodes up front so that the show can have a fairly regular release schedule in the long term. That's the plan, anyway. Um, so this may actually help keep the show coming out regularly, uh, in the future, but the downside is that if you sent me an email in response to one of my last shows, I haven't received it yet because you haven't written it yet, because you haven't heard any of my shows yet, because they haven't been released yet, because I'm still hoarding them all, even as I record this right now. So, all of this is to say, rest assured, when the show finally goes live, I'll try to set aside some time to read emails on the air. Don't worry, all will be well. Attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Okay, and welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. To start off, for the first part of this episode, I'm going to be discussing Legion of Superheroes number 1 to 5. Now, this is the 2004 reboot series initially written by Mark Wade and drawn by Barry Kitson. This is the second time that the Legion had been rebooted, which makes this the third version of the Legion. And so because of that, a lot of people refer to this as the 3-boot. The first hard reboot for the Legion of Superheroes occurred just after Zero Hour back in 1994. In an, a, uh, in an attempt to make the Legion more credible, quote-unquote, to then-modern readers, the kid, lad, lass, and so forth names were deleted, and instead, Lightning Lad became Live Wire, Colossal Boy became Leviathan, and so on. The real change to the continuity, though, was that the new inspiration for the Legion became Monel rather than Superboy, as Superman as a boy wasn't really an option in those days. Now, Mark Wade discussed both the post-Zero Hour Legion and the Three Boot Legion 
in an unspeakably badass episode of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, so I don't want to dwell too much on the the behind-the-scenes stuff here except to say that Wade eventually became disenchanted with the post-Zero Hour Legion because it sort of became a retelling of old Legion stories rather than having an identity of its own. I'll get more into the post-Zero Hour version of the Legion some other time. For now, let it be said that this three-boot Legion of superheroes is a full-scale reimagining of the entire concept. And for me, at least, there's no question that this version of the Legion definitely has an identity of its own. Apart from reincorporating the lad, lass, kid, and other types of names, those code names, it set up a sort of uh, dystopic future where human contact and sexuality are minimized and repressed, and planetary governments have established a sort of Big Brother-style surveillance program of all teenagers. Apart from superheroics, the Legion has undertaken efforts towards social reform by way of inspiring people with the legends of the superheroes from our era. As you can imagine, a lot of grown-ups don't appreciate the, the Legion bucking the established order and see them as anarchists bent on undermining society. Now, in this reboot, a lot of characters had their origin stories and or range of powers reconceptualized by Mark Wade. There are similarities maybe in the big picture, but a lot of the fine details are radically different from before. So, uh, in issue number one, we are introduced to the Legion of Superheroes as Invisible Kid joins the team. It sets up what the Legion is, the culture of the United Planets, the nature of the public service, that Big Brother spy program I just mentioned, and other components that are going to be expanded upon or paid off in future issues. The second issue sees Karate Kid, Shadow Lass, Dream Girl, and Brainiac 5 arrive on the planet Naltor, Dream Girl's home planet. Naltor's planetary elders have isolated those under the age of 18 from achieving REM sleep, which is not only necessary for them to truly see the future, but it's also vital to basic mental health. The reason for this is because war is coming and the elders don't want uh, the teenagers uh, to see their own deaths in that conflict. Dream Girl destroys the machine, preventing the Naltorian teenagers from achieving deep sleep, but she's troubled because she knows that all they're going to end up seeing is their own deaths. During the conflict, Brainiac 5 makes it clear that his agenda may very well conflict with the stated mission of the Legion up to this point. Issue number three shows a triplicate girl going on dates simultaneously with Element Lad, Sun Boy, and Ultra Boy. During the process, she helpfully gives her origin story, but she's really serving as a spy for Cosmic Boy, the leader of the Legion, who's attempting to find out just how conflicted the team is. Triplicate Girl's report convinces Cosmic Boy that the team may not survive the next few weeks and that Brainiac 5 is plotting behind his back. In the, fo- uh, in the fourth issue, Sun Boy's parents pay a visit to Legion headquarters. They are absolutely bohemian, or avant-garde by United Planet standards, and they are big supporters of the Legion. Now, in the middle of their visit, the science police attack Legion headquarters to enforce some bogus new law, but it eventually comes to light that the only reason the law exists is because Invis- Invisible Kid's father is the chief of, sci- of a uh, science police precinct, and he was able to force it through. Invisible Kid himself ends up defusing the situation by giving a sample of his blood, which contains the invisibility serum he created, giving that to the science police. But it also contains a biocomputer Trojan, which allows Brainiac 5 access into the entire science uh, police computer network. The entire incident, though, royally pisses off Cosmic Boy, so he sends Invisible Kid to stay with Sun Boy's parents for a few days. 
This issue also introduces uh, Praetor Lemnos, whom we'll see in future issues. In issue number five, we see on RimWorld 19, Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl are involved in a search and rescue operation after some sort of disaster, or attack as we later find out, has devastated the world and left very few survivors. Bryn Londo, also known as Timberwolf, was secretly dispatched by Brainiac 5 to assist in their efforts, even though he's not a member of the Legion. Back on Earth, it comes to light that Ultra Boy doesn't have complete control of his powers, so Shadow Lass rec- recruits Karate Kid to help teach him control and self-discipline. Back on RimWorld 19, the Legion members and Bryn Londo are attacked by Terror Firma, led by Elysion. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but whatever. Led by Elysion. Uh, Elysion has the ability to move the ground with his mind. The Legion members eventually turn the tide, and Bren manages to tag along with Terra Firma as they make their escape. It eventually comes out that Terra Firma are under the leadership of Praetor Lemnos, who's been pulling the, the strings behind the scenes. The issue ends with Lemnos doing some evil mustache twirling, promising more bloodshed and carnage, and Bren, La- Bren Londo spying on them and pretty much pissing his pants over what he's hearing. So, I should start by saying that I first read these Legion comics back in December of 2010 or so. It stands out in my memory because I was searching for comics I'd not read before and sort of found this run by accident. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in too much of my own personal drama, but the short version is that my world has a funny way of becoming pretty much completely fucking unglued every November. I don't know why it happens other than to say that if things are going to get turned completely upside down for me, Odds are, it'll happen in November. Breaking up with girlfriends, losing touch with friends I've had my entire life, um, losing a job, burying family members, you name it, it's happened to me during the month of November. Now, something along these lines is pretty much what had happened in November of 2010, and so I buried myself in comics for the next few months. I picked up the first two trades of this series and then tracked down each of the individual issues. And it was pretty much love at first sight. Now, I was a Mark Wade fan from way back, and I knew Barry Kitson from his work on Superman, Batman, Osrael, Iron Man, this Flash Green Lantern miniseries, the JLA Year One miniseries, I think Spider-Man, and probably some other Marvel stuff, too. I don't know why, but it was a, uh, it was a real comfort to read this series at the time that I read it, possibly... It's because one of the major elements of this series is that the Legion of Superheroes actively work for a better tomorrow. But at, the, at that moment, all of my tomorrows were looking pretty fucking dark. So, anyway. All of this is to say that I love this three-boot version of the Legion. My introduction to the Legion was the post-Zero Hour era, and, a, and I have a lot of affection for it. But the three-boot Legion is in a class by itself. It's my favorite version of the Legion. It may not be perfect. Um, I don't. In an ideal world, they'd still have some kind of tie-in to Superman. But other than that, I really wouldn't change a thing. Now, there came a point, um, and it wasn't even really all that long ago, where DC, for lack of a better term, unbooted the Legion and restored the original continuity. And whether it's because the world is a different place now than it was when that version of the Legion last saw the light of day, or if it's because that stuff was written by Paul Levitz, and all due respect to him, I'm just not fond of his writing at all. I never really connected to the restored Legion of Superheroes. 
but this three-boot Legion? The best example I can think of for why this iteration of the Legion is awesome is uh, it, it takes place at the end of the first issue. Starboy has a moment with Invisible Kid where we learn just who and what the Legionnaires are and what they're all about. And it's clear that the Legion owes their continued existence to the Legionnaires, these kids that are hanging around outside of Legion headquarters. And it's just this really cool moment. Uh, and the always awesome Barry Kitson really sells the hope and optimism that the Legionnaire kids feel as a result of what the Legion of Superheroes has done throughout the galaxy. And speaking of Kitson, this series gave me a whole new respect for him. A lot of artists have a sort of generic superhero face they use for pretty much every character, but Kitson gave every single member of the, of the Legion a specific look. You don't need coloring or to see their costumes in order to instantly recognize each Legion character. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, full disclosure, I don't know anything about art as far as the technical aspects of it. The best I can do are stick figures, and even those look pretty bad. But even I know that Barry Kitson did some incredibly masterful work on this series, and there, there really is no way for me to... to really do justice to it in this show. You guys seriously need to check this out, track it down, and, and, and look at all of this stuff for yourself. And then there's Mark Wade. For a long time now, I've said that if you don't like Mark Wade, you don't like comics. And his run on this version of the Legion is a big part of why. In the first issue, Wade introduces several Legion characters, and superficially, it looks kind of like a modernized Super Friends as far as characterization is concerned. On the surface, there's no real conflict between the characters. It just looks like it's the get-along gang. Issue number two begins hinting that things are maybe a little more complicated than all of that, but it's only when you get to issue three that you understand that the team has differences and conflicts that they may not completely understand yet. Basically, Wade presents a character, group, or situation... At first it seems rosy perfect, but in short order you find it's actually chaos in a bottle. A fairly simple proposition quickly gets so many layers and complications added to it that you start wondering how you ever thought it was a simple proposition. This is one of Wade's tools. He does this all the time. He uses this, he uses this tool all the time. And I always get suckered by it because he's a master at his craft. But even more than that, Wade gives each character a specific voice and point of view. Everybody has a logical agenda for making the choices that they make, and none of it is buried in page after didactic page of expository dialogue. Wade humanizes each character through their thoughts and their actions. A lot of writers would do well to sit and learn from the master. Again, I say, if you don't like Mark Wade, you don't like comics. Simple as that. Now, I'm not sure when, but I'll continue covering this series of The Legion at some point in the future, because I just love it so much. But for now, it's time for me to take a quick break. I'll play some promos, and I will be right back. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move too We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? 
to all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. I think shall sustain the living drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn. Com. Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, howling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan Apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus of US-1? Um, no. I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that, supposedly, is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still gonna be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Ooh, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CD signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18 healer is just too goofy? Precisely. <sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.lipson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bro podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. Come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. Okay, I'm back now. This next comic book is something that Scott Gardner has been recommending on miscellaneous and sundry podcasts for, for years now. And I've decided to finally take him up on his recommendation. It took some time, but I eventually gathered... Issues number one through four of Jonah Hex. This is the series written mostly by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti, and at least these the issues that I read here 
uh, these issues had art by Luke Ross. Uh, Jonah Hex number one, the title of which is The Crippled Hunter, follows Jonah as he searches for the lost boy of a, of a crippled big game hunter. Turns out that the boy had been kidnapped and forced into a dogfighting operation. Oddly enough, there was no law preventing such a thing, so Jonah exacted justice for the boy's death from rabies by covering the, the kidnapper in pig blood and then feeding him to rabid dogs. In the second issue, entitled Bullets of Silver, Cross of Gold, Jonah tracks a, a group of thieves and murderers to Silverton. Silverton, Colorado is my best guess. This group had killed a Catholic priest who had been caring for Jonah as he recovered from some sickness or another. Then they stole the priest's gold cross. And because of that, Hex rode out to settle their hash. And it turns out that Branson, Branson Ironside, a local thug in Silverton, was way ahead of, of uh, Hex on this one, as he'd taken out most of the gang himself and planned to keep the cross for himself. He and Hex had philosophical differences uh, of opinion over that, so each side argued the merits of his case, and eventually they parted ways in peace. Actually, no. Hex used dynamite to blow Ironside straight to hell. In Jonah Hex number three, Eye for an Eye, Hex teams up with Batlash to take out a, a, a crooked sheriff who's been framing local Apache for crimes committed by his younger brother's gang. Batlash has his own grievances, uh, has his own grievances with the sheriff's brother, and it all ends about as bloody as you might expect. And number four, Chaco must die. Hex has to rescue a bounty from the mayor of uh, Tall Pines after it comes out that the bounty, Chaco, is a witness to a crime the mayor himself had committed. And again, it all ends about the way you might expect for a Jonah Hex comic. So, I should start off by saying that I knew pretty much nothing about Jonah Hex before reading these comics. Still don't, really. Um, I saw the movie, but that didn't make much of an impression on me, and I guess come to that, it didn't seem to make much of an impression on anybody, really. Uh, Jonah Hex had guest appearances on Batman the Animated Series and also Justice League Unlimited, uh, but those were nothing like the stories that I, that I read here. All of this is to say that I have no stake in this series being good or being horrible. But I guess as far as first impressions go, these are very gritty Western stories. They're obviously not in the same category as, I don't know, a Marvel Max title. But this is some pretty tough stuff. I wouldn't say that these books are anywhere near as gory as The Walking Dead, but they still deal with some pretty heavy topics. There's, there's really no way a book this intense could have been published back in the 70s. Still, I enjoy these issues quite a lot. Gray and Palmiotti are a great team, and they clearly have a solid handle on who uh, Jonah Hex is and what makes him tick. I have no idea how these stories compare with previous Hex stories, but I can tell you I really enjoyed the issues that I read here. Now, in case it wasn't obvious from my little descriptions, these were all done-in-one stories, and that's practically a lost art nowadays. Part of me wants to give this series major brownie points just for having the cojones to tell stories in that format. On the other hand, I don't think any of these stories really could have been stretched out beyond the single issue that they took place in, so I guess there's that. As far as um, the art is concerned, I mostly only know Luke Ross from his run on, I believe it was, the sensational Spider-Man during the armpit of the Clone Saga. If I'm not... Terribly mistaken, he was the artist who ended up replacing Dan Jurgens on that title. Replacing Dan Jurgens as the artist. I always thought he was talented, but he's obviously improved his game in a big, 
big way in these uh, intervening years. I don't know if he's I don't know if he stuck around for the entirety of this series, but he for sure drew the four issues I read, and I have to say I thought he did a masterful job. Art is a pretty subjective thing, so just bear that in mind uh, as I go through each of the next. I thought each page had the right number of panels, the right amount of shadow versus light, the right composition of panels in relation to each other, highly detailed backgrounds, and other things. I don't know if Ross used a lot of photo reference for all the outdoor scenes, the guns, the horses, the period clothing, the mountains, all that stuff, but he really nailed it. He, he nailed it. Now, speaking of photo reference... Did Luke Ross use Clint Eastwood as the model for Jonah Hex? It looks like it. I didn't bother with wondering if he used real people as models for other characters, but the Eastwood thing seemed kind of obvious. Hell, it seemed outright shameless in a few panels. Now, I am not criticizing Ross for that, because that's, that's very much within his right to do. I'm just pointing out something that occurred at least to me. I haven't Googled this to find out... Uh, if this is something that other people have noticed, because I don't, I really don't care to be, to be bluntly honest about it. I, it doesn't matter to me. If you're going to use a model for Jonah Hex, Clint Eastwood is as good as anybody and better than most. Oh, and another thing, uh, Jason Keith's coloring in these comics is uh, noteworthy too. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. Technicolor seems inaccurate, but it's the best I've got. It's definitely unique. It's got a style all on its own. Now, I usually don't pay too much attention to coloring in comics unless it's masterfully and creatively done, or if it's too distracting. In fact, I would go so far as there are instances where coloring detracts from the art, and I think The Walking Dead is the perfect example. The Walking Dead would be a different, and I would say lesser book, if it included color. This run of Jonah Hex is better for Keith's coloring. Again, I don't know how best to describe it, but in every panel of every page, Keith makes the exact right choice to support the story that's being told. Except for the fact that it's beautiful, in several cases, the coloring really doesn't call too much attention to itself. It simply is, the majority of the time. So, all in all, this run of Jonah Hex is definitely something I'm going to continue reading in the future. I would like to thank Scott Gardner for making this recommendation. As he said, this is the Walking Dead equivalent of Western comics where you may not be interested in a particular genre, but this is more than just that genre. This is really something special. So I'm not sure when I'm going to continue with this, but as with the Legion of Superheroes 3 boot, I am going to continue covering this in some future show. So if you're a fan of the series, keep an eye out for that. Enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Illogic, foolish emotions, a constant irritant. Intense, I am out. Freak. 
the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go away, Biden. And now... Together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Shoot you. I say shut up! It's a man home! Two true freaks.com. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus punches reality at magnus.libson.com you can also find it on facebook just by searching for trentus magnus punches reality there you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when i put them up you can friend me on facebook by searching for trentus magnus which is spelled t-r-e-n-t-u-s m-a-g-n-u-s you can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind. And that's a promise. If you enjoyed the show, review it in iTunes. If you didn't enjoy the show, review it in iTunes. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promo can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is copyright Magnus Media Enterprises Limited, Wisconsin Falls, California. California. 